friends. Of course, I go by the name of the kid, famous. You and now tuned into the Tim and Friends show. Hello, education, entertainment, coast to coast. Ball it up, call it entertainment. Let's get this started. Uncle Tim, let's start this show with five, four, three, two, one. Let's go. Tim and Friends, day two of the Stanley Cup playoffs. Tim McAuliffe, Jesse Rubinoff here to help. Help manage the Leafs boner, the Oilers worries, and the Flames expectations and memories. But let me tell you something, Gene Mean. Let me tell you something, Gene Mean. If Toronto and Edmonton were any indication, the Saddle Dome will be rocking for game one of the Flames and Stars. You wanted to jump in. I could feel it, Jesse Rubinoff. You were leaning in like you wanted to say something <laughs> off the top of the show. You want me to tell you? you? There's a different dance today. Like, I, think, I think your glasses are a little bit crooked. My glasses are crooked? Hold on. Wait, don't touch it yet. Yeah, yeah they are. No. <laughs> yeah, they are. They're a wee bit. They're, they're a little askew. I was like, what's going on today? There's something different about, about yeah. Tim. I've been with you for like half an hour in the studio. You know what it was. And I just you I noticed something. You, you aren't, uh, you don't have the same sort of problem in your life like I have. I wear Jesse. glasses. I wear contacts right now. When you rip the mask off. Ah, uh, because it's attached. It to the, loops yeah, into yeah. the loop in this thing here, the arm. <laughs> it is it is dastardly. That's where you step. I mean, I mean, I guess I'm happy that you stopped. I got sidetracked, yeah. So I just wanted it to could be distracting, it. too. So yeah. let's, let's fix the glasses and let's get going. <laughs> From day two to game two, not only did the Yankees and Jays tango in the second of their three game. People are going to be annoyed with this. Uh, Alec Manoa Day in the second of three between the Yankees and the Blue Jays. We've also got a pair of game twos in the NBA playoffs. Some breaking news from Boston. Marcus Smart is out as the Celtics and Bucks do battle. Memphis also hosting the Grizzlies tonight. Another one of those days just chock free of gluten, chock full of gluten free goodness is what I really wanted to say. Game day starts right here on Tim and Friends. So without further ado, because I'm screwing this all up, my glasses are askew. I'm all out of sorts. So let's just jump into it. First things first. Don't be a noob. Let's go Hawk and Lube. Nice. Well, in your defense, I mean, there's a lot going on. So Ah, there's no real defense in this. <laughs> to be they, honest they with you, I was grabbing notes no. and then I was like, I'm going to do the Mr. Rogers where I put my jacket on and yeah, sit down and smile at the camera. Cool. Yeah, and do it like that. And then my glasses are askew. Let's go. There's a lot going on. It's all on. good. Yeah. It's all good. The Toronto Maple Leafs made quite a statement last night in game one with a 5-0 win over the Tampa Bay Lightning. Austin Matthews scored twice. Mitch Marner broke a lengthy playoff goal-scoring drought. And Jack Campbell made 24 saves for the shutout. Tim, did everything go right for the Maple Leafs last night? Uh, to quote Mr. Rogers, it was a beautiful day in the neighborhood as the Toronto Maple Listen. They played about as well as I've ever seen them play in this iteration of the Toronto Maple Leafs as we handed it off to Ron McLean and all the big girls and boys at Hockey Night in Canada and the NHL on Sportsnet. I uttered three of the sporting truths that I have learned in my 25 years in the business. Jesse, you've heard them a few times. One, special players make special plays on special days. Hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. Yep. And the difference between good and great is consistency. There it is. Check, check, and check. 
at least through one game. The Leafs were the better team throughout game one. And even with the seven minutes of penalties to kill early, they look like the better team. Down a man, they, after seven minutes of power play time for one of, if not the hottest power play in the National Hockey League, you know what the shots on goal were? Tell me. 3-3. Three, three. Marner and Kerfer were unbelievable killing those penalties. The only question I have coming out of game one is can the Leafs do that consistently? Because if they bring that kind of hard work with their talent, the first round curse could end in a hurry. Like given their history, that's a big if. The consistency is a big if. But Jesse, that was as good as I have seen them play, period. Yeah, I, I don't know how anybody can really make an argument about that. Like, that that was dominance, really, from the drop of the puck. And in a funny way, the Kyle Clifford five-minute major ended up working in their favor because it gave them all the momentum. Um, one thing I want to ask you about that we have talked at length about over the course of the season is the Leafs and their team structure and their team defense. Yeah. And I felt like last night they at least proved – to themselves and to their fans that they are capable of playing that way, whether they do it as consistently, I think is the point you made, uh, whether they can do that remains to be seen, but at least they now know that if they play that way, they can do it. Oh, without a doubt. There, that was, listen, Tampa's a good team. No one really expects them to go quietly into the night, yeah. but you saw how hard they made it on Tampa to generate chances. No, no time and space. No time and space, and that's not just the defense core. So if you are matching these two teams up and saying defense core versus defense core, I think Tampa wins. If you get the help that the Leafs got last night from their forwards, which is what we have been saying the entire year, then this is a different Leafs team. If you see that kind of consistency from them where they make it really tough on the other team in their own zone, that's the kind of Leafs team that can make a run, and that's the kind of Leafs team that when you and I talked to Kyle Dubas at the start of the year, he thought they could be. Mm -hmm. That's exactly what Sheldon Keefe and Kyle Dubas were talking about at the start of the year. They needed the team defense to swarm and take away time and space, and I think that's what you saw last night. I think that was the best version of the Toronto Maple Leafs in this new generation, mm -hmm. Matthews, Marner, et cetera, et cetera. And let's be honest here. Special players make special plays on special days. Marner and Matthews were electric. And when you consider that they combined for just one goal in seven games against the Montreal Canadiens last year, that's a dream start for the Toronto Maple Leafs and their fans because you got Marner and his first goal in 19 playoff games. And I don't know if you saw the reaction, Jesse, mm -hmm. of the bench when um, Matthews scored. Like, there, it felt like there was relief all around. And I think that, listen, th their records when those two guys put points up is unbelievable. This year in the regular season, this year total, mm -hmm. they are now 33-4-2 when Matthews and Marner each record a point. I repeat, 33-4-2 in their career, in their career, they are 146-30-17 when Marner and Matthews each record a point. So there was no secret last year what happened. 
those two guys went quiet mm -hmm. and the Toronto Maple Leafs went quiet with it and we'll get to Phil Deneau in a flash because Phil Deneau had a big part in that last year and he had a big part in game one between the Oilers and the Kings but that to me is a big difference and also like let's be honest both crowds Edmonton and Toronto were unbelievable and how often have you and I said that about Toronto never like I listen I've been very realistic about what the crowd in Toronto is. It is corporate. The real fans are in bars all around the city. And if you've ever been to Toronto when they're in the playoffs and doing well, which was a few years ago now, <laughs> you hear in downtown Toronto, whenever the Leafs score a goal, roars from all over downtown Toronto. And that's gone quiet for a long time. But I think you and I talking yesterday with Nick Kiprios, mm -hmm about how much the tickets cost on the secondary market. And because of COVID, a lot of those big wig corporate folks are still at their cottage or remotely working at home and not going down. I'm dead serious in this. This is not crowd. a joke. It was the people's crowd last night. That the tickets were accessible for real fans to go down and not the corporate schmoozers who are down eating sushi and sipping wine for the start of the period. That was a real crowd and you heard the difference. I honestly believe that. I think that those tickets were accessible for the first time in a playoff game because of COVID, and you got a real crowd. There were there were jerseys in the Platinums. <laughs> jerseys in the Platinum, not suits. Not dudes sitting on their seats acting like they know everything about the game and doing business. There were actual fans in the seats, and you can tell the difference. It started right away, too, when there was a buzz right from the drop of the puck, and then when Matthews hopped over the boards the first time there was a cheer and then MVP yeah. chance like right away they were into the game the whole way it was it was it was nice to see quite frankly because you haven't seen that very often okay I want to get to the uh, Leafs toughness and some of the rough stuff in this game and it started with Kyle Clifford who as you mentioned we now know has been suspended for one game for uh, a hit that I don't think many people disagreed warranted some sort of supplemental discipline it was late uh, it was just silly I think Sheldon Keefe called it dumb it, it just was not a good hit. Kipper called that in here, eh? Yesterday. Yesterday, when he said you can't take the dumb penalty. Yeah, and that was as, pretty much as dumb as they come. Yeah, five-minuter to start the game. I know you're trying to play on the edge. You're overstimulated. You come in and you do something like that. Um, that was stupid. And the Leafs surviving They got that. lucky. They got, yeah. oh, I mean, they didn't get lucky because they earned it, but no. that could have gone sideways very quickly. Yeah. Kerfoot and Martin were unbelievable. On the, they were yeah. better offensively on the penalty kill than the Lightning were on the power play. Yeah, it seems like the Leafs, they obviously changed their penalty kill from a year ago. They're much more aggressive now, and, and you are seeing the, the fruits of that labor, and, and you saw it last night, 13, league-leading 13 shorthanded goals uh, on the Leafs' penalty kill. I, I want to get to the scrum at the end of the game, the line brawls, the, <laughs> the gloves everywhere, the blood <laughs> on everyone's faces. Um, Obviously, I think late in the game, the Lightning are trying to send a message there. Uh, what did you take away from the Leafs' response? I didn't think that there were some greasy punches. Corey yeah. Perry with a left over the top on Labushkin. Maroon filling in Riley and then Riley being so pissed off that he lands this on Jan oh. Ruda. Like, that is a no-no, and he paid for it on his hand. I don't know if you saw. I mean, listen, Ruda was leaking. That was as deep Bad. a cut yeah. Yeah. as you can see. And, like, you see the suspensions or at least the fines that are thrown out. Like, Simmons, 
2250 bucks for unsportsmanlike conduct. Same with Maroon and Perry. Watch it over again. I believe that Maroon and Perry got their money's worth. And Simmons, I don't know what, like... What did he get suspended? Or uh, what did he get a fine for? For starting it up. But he laid a hit. No, but it was, no, it wasn't a hit. He went in on Hedman. Listen, he laid a hit, and then he, he skated away like mm-hmm. he should have from Perry and Maroon because they were looking to start something. And then Simmons came in when it was all done, and he grabbed Hedman. And now you give free reign to watch Perry. Arm comes loose, boom, <laughs> out of nowhere. And then on the side, Maroon, like a fourth-line guy. And listen, I get he's played on Stanley Cup teams, but that's not a start. He's grabbing Morgan Riley, the top defenseman on the Leafs, and just absolutely filling him in. And Simmons gave them the ability to do that just by putting his hands on Hedman. Right. And I thought the Leafs got lured into something there, but does it prove something long-term to someone else, the Tampa Bay Lightning, or maybe themselves, I think we'll ask Kevin Bieksa about that because he would know more than you and I would because he's been in that war. But for me, it was like, why would you? It looked like Simmons was going to let it all go. Don't engage. Yeah. Don't get lured in. The old scoreboard. Look at the scoreboard. Don't get lured in. You didn't have to. But I, I wonder if, wonder if the Leafs prove something to themselves just by doing that. Yeah. I want to know from from Kevin as well, uh, is there going to be some sort of response from the Leafs for Maroon going after Riley in that way? Maybe an early message sent by Simmons going into game two, but uh, we will ask. How many times do you have to fight each other? <laughs> Maroon and Simmons? <laughs> yeah, like yeah, attached to the hip. What, is, that, is that going to be a message or do you wait till next year if Maroon's know. still in the league? Like who even knows? Probably don't even give them the opportunity for that momentum. Just not play if you, your game. Not if you played the way you played last exactly. night. Exactly. You just let that ish go. If, exactly. I'm, if I'm the Toronto Maple Leafs, love, peace, and hair grease. We're up 2 nothing if they play the same way that they did in game one. Agreed. Uh, in Edmonton, the Oilers played catch up all night and came up short in their playoff opener against the Kings with a 4-3 loss. Philip Deneau was credited with the game winner after a brutal giveaway by Mike Smith allowed the Kings to score the deciding goal. Tim, uh, one of the more costly mistakes we've seen from a goaltender in a long time in the postseason. I mean, in the end, that was the difference. Um, It was very costly. But there is plenty of room for improvement in the Edmonton Oilers. Like, that was a soft start, I thought. They're down 2-0 early in that game. Forced to battle back. They're kind of sloppy. Giveaways, not just Smith, led to two goals in that game. For me, like, the Kings still needed a somewhat gift-wrapped last goal to mm-hmm. get that win. And another unbelievable game by Philippe Deneau and... Trevor Moore, who Kevin Bieksa kept pointing out in the uh, in, in the intermissions and the post game, they they were the best players on the ice, and that ice also included some pretty damn good players. So listen, I get why there would be worry in Edmonton because now you're facing going down 0-2 at home, and teams that trail 0-2 in a series are 52 and 337. The winning percentage is 134. Um, Teams, when starting at home, their winning percentage actually goes up, which is odd. You think it's the better team. That is odd. It is. It's a little bit. You think because maybe it's the better team Mm -hmm. because they're starting at home. Mm -hmm. But the, the winning percentage goes up. It goes all the way up to 192. 
the winning percentage. So it is very rare to come from 0-2 down. I think there's a lot of pressure on this Oilers team, but I also think that there are a lot of places where they can clean up their game and be better than the Los Angeles Kings. Two questions I want to get to on that. Uh, Mike Smith, you think, goes right back between the pipes because it's yes. a, it was a mental mistake, not really indicative of the way that he played the game, right? Yeah, he was, saw, it was okay. It wasn't bad. I saw some Edmonton reporters asking the fan base, mm-hmm. do you go back to Mike Smith? And most of the, most of the responses right. were yes, like 69%. Sorry. Uh, 65%, uh, 72%, like in and around there on you go back to Mike Smith. I agree with that. He has been unbelievable. But there was that swagger, right, like that shooting the putt. Jen Botterill yesterday. Yes. yes. The swagger that Mike Smith had, you know, shooting the puck towards the open net, like all those Gets things. Got a little cocky. Got a little cocky. Mm-hmm. Is that part of his game? Is that what you need? I heard people saying high risk, high reward. Do you want that from your goaltender in the postseason? High risk, high reward? I don't. No. That, okay. Starting a fast break in a three on three with a ridiculous pass. All right. You'll take that. In the regular season. But you don't want high risk, high reward from your goalie in the postseason. But to be honest and to be fair, Mike Smith sat at the podium at the end of that game, took full credit, and said, let's go. We're moving on. That was was a big mistake. It was a physical mistake. It was a mental mistake. It wasn't a physical mistake. And it won't happen again. And I think that he's earned the right, especially the way he played in April, to give the opportunity to be given the opportunity to go out there and prove that he's more April and less last night. Uh, Bieksa has mentioned coming up, and we will talk much more about those games and the Calgary Flames who are coming up tonight. They get their series underway as we shift to the Diamond. That'll be fun. Toronto Blue Jays came up short in a one-run ball game last night, losing 3-2 to the Yankees, who have won 10 straight games. The Jays erased a two-run deficit in the fourth to tie the game, but Glaber Torres drove home the game-winning run with an RBI single in the ninth. The Jays are in a bit of a scoring slump here. Timmy worried. Kind of, but not really. The kind of is the proof's in the pudding. When you put up runs, then you can stop being worried about the runs that are put up. Uh, But right now, they've got a few injuries, and they're just not getting any good luck. Like, these are some advanced statistics that Ken Reed may laugh at, but I'll explain what I think they mean, Mm -hmm. and you can agree and or disagree because you're grown-ass people who know what you're talking about. The batting average for balls in play from the Toronto Blue Jays this year is 286. That's about the league average. Mm-hmm. They are 15th in the league in batting average on balls in play. Now, the batting average balls in play with runners in scoring Bad position bit. drops significantly. That's the bottom of your screen. That's 188. That's 30th in the league. So you go from batting average on balls in play, league average, to batting average with scoring uh, batting average on balls in play with runners in scoring position, and you drop all the way to 30th. That would suggest to me that you will come somewhere in between those and start scoring some of those runners, mm-hmm. especially when you look at the hard hit percentage. And according to Baseball Savant, they have the Jays with a hard hit percentage of 46, which ranks second in the major leagues, right? So when you hit the ball that hard, eventually you will start finding spots. And that's why people look at analytics. That's why people break them down so that you can suggest that what you're doing right now is good but unlucky. And to me, 
those numbers suggest that and then you add the injuries on top of it and I think you're going to start to see the real Jays offense come out soon. It's funny if if the way they started the year with these one one run wins were actually losses. It's tough to say, I, eh? Yeah, it's really difficult. Yeah. Um, if they were actually losses, I feel like there would be this uh, call for sort of like, oh, we should have re-signed Marcus Simeon, and we're losing him in the batting order now. But you just feel like he's they, not doing so good. They, yeah, they, but they supplement. They, they, it's not like they just lost him and they didn't put anything back into the lineup, right? They have Matt Chapman. Teo is hurt, like you said. So you just feel like it's a matter of time, like you mentioned with all those stats, before they really get going. They're too good to not have the offense going like that. And they're still winning games for the most part. The runners in scoring position also suggests when you don't have as many of the big boppers in the lineup, then you don't get as many pitches when you're Vladimir Guerrero Jr. or when you're Bo Bichette. And it seems like Bo Bichette might be starting to round into form too. Another multi-hit night last night for him. So there's there's some there's a few glimmers of hope, Mm -hmm. but you always want to see the proof in the pudding. And I think you'll start to see it average out over the course of the season. Usually what happens. And if you're healthy, it always helps. Alec Manoa, the Jays stopper on the hill tonight. Uh, Dan Schulman coming up a little bit later to talk more Jays. Yesterday we heard from Raptors head coach Nick Nurse in his end-of-season availability, and today it was team president Masai Ujiri's turn in front of the media. It was a career year for Pascal Siakam, and Masai shared some emotional words on Pascal's success and perseverance. Have a listen. I'm so proud of him. Uh, there's, there's nothing. Watching his press conference the other day, yeah, I want that guy on my team. I want, I want, I want that kind of fighter on my team. If you can come back from that in life, you saw it. You saw what people called him racist, all the things that were said about that guy because of basketball, because of sports. Yeah, he gets paid, but he's also a human being, right? Yeah. And he stood it, withstood it, went. When he was coming back, got hit again, uh, got injured. Yeah. Those things crack people, right? And he grew out of it. And to see him on that stage, you know, fight, and fight and fight. Yeah. That's who you want to go to war with, to battle with. I'm proud of him, incredibly proud of Pascal. When Masai gets in front of a microphone, it's appointment TV. Like he's unbelievable. How valuable is he as the, the leader of this organization? He, his year-end availability is a master class yeah. each year. Like, yeah. It's rallying. The, like how does Pascal Siakam watch that? Careful how I say that, McCallum. <laughs> Holy crap. What a terrible start to show for me. How does Pascal Siakam not see that and want to fight for his leader too? Mm-hmm. Like It is a master class. And yeah, he's as good as... Like Just think competitively. It's quite possible that the Toronto Raptors just had a one-year rebuild. The Tampa tank in front of no fans, I might add. They might have had none of their fans there for a one-year rebuild and be better positioned than a lot of other teams in the NBA. Like, what Messiah has been able to build here with the help of the players and with the help of Nick Nurse and, to a lesser extent, Dwayne Casey, is a master class to franchises that are perennially in the lottery, right? Like, think of the Sacramentos, the Atlantas, 
the New York Knicks of the world. Like, they're all searching for something like this, and it's possible that the Raptors are in a better position than all of them moving forward, given where they're at, and that's just on the court. So competitively speaking, he's checking all of the boxes, and that one-year tank could be their rebuild. Then off the court, you have... A guy who fits in in the city, in the country, unlike many others. He's a philanthropist. He's he's helping a continent with their game, right? Like Amazing. He, he is helping a continent with the game of basketball and beyond. And I don't know if there's a better fit for Toronto and for Canada and vice versa. Like maybe Washington, D.C. could afford him mm -hmm. the kind of support that he's gotten for Giants of Africa. Mm -hmm. But like... I just think that the fit has been perfect, and the only lingering question is, when does that pay off for a free agent? Because we've right. seen it happen in hockey when people didn't think it was going to happen in Toronto and in Canada. We've seen it happen with the Jays. Now that they're getting good, free agents want to sign here. Will it happen with Masai Ujiri and the Toronto Raptors? Because that's the only thing left to be answered. Can he attract that, or does he have to do the Kawhi Leonard every time? Right. Which is difficult, <laughs> no question about it. He's a heck of a leader, uh, no question, and he's also uh, got a pretty good sense of humor. Here is Masai on Nick Nurse. No team has contacted me, and I see all the stuff that like, uh, you guys see. Um, I dream like they dream. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I want Messi. I want Ronaldo. I want Kobe Bryant. You know? Yeah, so they can they keep dreaming. I dream too. <laughs> so, Nick Nurse, he stay. He stay. Uh, they can dream. Still yeah. to come. <laughs> Are the Celtics in trouble all of a sudden? Mark Spears jumps in. Dan Shulman will weigh in on game two of the Jays and the Yankees. And if Alec Manoa can do it again, but up next, Kevin Bieksa on the Flames, Oilers, and Leafs, and maybe a little on that line brawl in Toronto. Tim and friends, game day starts here and now. Matthew scores! The 60 Govans got his first. Well, it's only one, but it has been a perfect start on this journey for the Leafs. Puck stopped behind the net by Smith. Dangerous pass, shot, and Mike Smith saves his own bacon. Another shot, but it's a goal. The Los Angeles Kings stealing game one of this series. All eyes on the Calgary Flames and what has been a pretty incredible season. We learned a lot in 1819. We got beat by Dallas in bubble so I want to show that we can be better and beat these guys I'd say all Blue Jays games are must-see TV right now the way they're playing but Alec Manoa that's must-see TV yes. Alec Manoa they don't care who he's pitching against he believes he can get anybody out the bigger the stage I think the, the brighter he becomes I just want to get out of here because I have allergies so <laughs> so holy I'm so so excited that we started on the road so I can start breathing tomorrow Great ride to be a part of. Played back to the line for Jake Muzzin. Scores! 
The all-important first goal of this series. Five on three could be a game changer. Matthew scores! The 60 goal man's got his first, and here's Camp, race again! He's in alone! Scores! Short-handed! Back to Barter, walking in! Scores! And Mitch Barter's playoff drop is over! Line roll here, absolute gong show breaks out. Well, it's only one, but it has been a perfect start on this journey for the Leafs. What tremendous anticipation at Rogers Place with Oiler fans expecting something special in this postseason. Connor McDavid moving in with speed. He scores! Connor McDavid to the rescue there. <laughs> Listen to this crowd. This is what it's all about. The Stanley Cup playoffs. Puck stopped behind the net by Smith. Dangerous pass. Shot. And Mike Smith saves his own bacon. Another shot. Pretty entertaining start to the 2022 Stanley Cup playoffs tonight. It's Calgary's turn. The Flames get the spotlight as they host the Stars in game one. Calgary comes in as heavy favorites and will look for a little revenge after losing to the Stars in the playoff bubble two years ago. You can see it on Sportsnet and CBC starting at 10 p.m. Eastern, 8 local. It is one of four games in the Stanley Cup playoffs tonight, all available on the network and Sportsnet now. Game one. Pens, Rangers, Sportsnet, and CBC 7 Eastern. Game 1, Caps, Panthers, Sportsnet 360. And yes, Game 1 of the Preds and Avs can be seen on Sportsnet 1 beginning at 9.45 Eastern, 6.45 Pacific. Speaking of one, the one Kevin Bieksa joins us now ahead of covering all four of those games. Welcome back to Tim and Friends, Mr. Bieksa. Thank you. I haven't actually changed since the last Tim and Friends. So. <laughs> when, when we had the bada boom, oh yeah, it's, it's somewhat similar. I just like the Reds when I'm on your show. I don't know why. I don't know, maybe you're seeing blood whenever you see Uncle Timmy sitting here. Right. Uh, let, let's get to Toronto where uh, there was a wee bit of pressure. Wayne Simmons said before game one that the team, they would have to change the narrative. How does that rank in terms of starts at least? It's, a, it's amazing. If you're a Leaf fan, it's a great start. And, you know, the way they won the game, it wasn't, uh, you know, the first five minutes of the game, it wasn't picture perfect. It, you know, they lost a bunch of face-offs, and it was kind of a bit of a feeling-out process for both teams. But certainly the Clifford hit had the ability to either ruin them or kickstart them to a great game. And that penalty kill, particularly Marner and Kerfoot, really got them going. And after that, they fed off the crowd, fed off the momentum. This shot by Muzzin here, this is your prototypical playoff goal where it's just a shot from the point with traffic and that goes in and now they get going now they get some momentum they got the shorthanded goal and and you know again can't say enough about what the crowd is the crowd was so loud yeah. and I, I honestly think the crowd maybe factored into the Clifford hit I felt like he had so much adrenaline going because he got out there and he was trying to make something happen crowds getting loud goes and he hits another guy it was a little bit from behind it was a lot from behind yeah. and then the penalty and the suspension but look at this crowd David Amber is actually right in the middle there you can't see him, but he's wearing a <laughs> Nylander jersey right in the middle of the crowd. Um, I was saying earlier that because of COVID, all of those suits downtown are at their cottage or they're in the Bahamas or they're in Bermuda working remotely. And the secondary market wasn't that ex It felt like there were real fans in the expensive seats instead yeah. of sipping wine and eating sushi at the start of the period. They were in their seats and it was an actual 
Leafs crowd and you growing up in Hamilton know like there are real Leaf fans they just can't afford to get in the building the real blue collar fans like yeah. you and I Tim I, I never uh, went to a Leaf game until I actually played in the NHL so I don't think I've ever sat in the stands there we went to Buffalo Sabre games because it was more you know more affordable easier to get tickets so yeah yeah certainly uh, it seemed like the crowd last night was more Hamilton Grimsby than it was uh, your typical <laughs> Toronto. Uh, all right, last year Marner and Matthews one goal, seven games against the Montreal Canadiens. They get three in game one. Bounces, puck luck. Did you see something different in the Leafs' top two scorers? Well, I, I, I thought Marner got going on the penalty kill, and I, I think with him, like you think about, it, he hasn't scored in, in two playoffs, and and I'm, we're going to talk a little bit about Johnny Goudreau. It was a little bit the same tonight yep. for Calgary. A lot of times these players that are skill guys that like to hold on to the puck and make plays, when the playoffs come, the game changes, right? So it's more physical. There's guys in the other team that are finishing more hits than usual. So your tendency is to get rid of the puck quicker, to dump pucks in, to chip them, to not really play your game and not really be yourself. And as you can see from these clips, Marner was himself last night. He was holding on to the puck. He was making his creative plays. He was playing on instinct. It seemed like every read he made was a good one. Um, the puck followed him for a bit. He had his, you know, when he's at his best, he's having fun like this. I know after a goal, everyone's happy, but it, it all goes back even to the Raptors game when he was on uh, the sidelines with Kerfoot and he's giving the big thumbs up and the big grin. Like, it seems like he's a little bit more comfortable this playoff so far. Without a doubt. Without a doubt, we posted the same. We posted the same thing on our Twitter account uh, because it seemed like there Looked was better on him than you, though. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, Jesse asked me about the line brawl. Both of us agreed you'd be better to answer this question. I found it remarkably interesting. I thought that the Leafs and Simmons weren't going to get lured into, into that. What was your take on the line brawl? Well, Simmons tried not to get lured into it, but it was only a matter of time. Like you have a team that has won back-to-back -back Stanley Cups, and and they're proud. And they understand the game within the game, Perry and Maroon in particular. And you just knew as this game went to 3 nothing, 4 nothing, 5 nothing, that it wasn't going to take a whole lot to get this going, to spark this. And as much as Simmons tried to stay out of it, he was right in the middle of it. He had no choice but to defend his teammates. Morgan Riley's throwing punches, which you obviously don't want to see too much. But you see Simmons here. He threw a big hit in the corner, and now he's trying to skate away from it. But Tampa Bay just wasn't going to let him. And I think both teams handled it well. The suspensions is, is or sorry, the fines is a little bit interesting because um, it's almost like a warning shot from the league saying, you know, like we don't want to see this too many times. This is, you know, the NHL and we understand, but it's $2,500 fines to Simmons, to Maroon, to Perry. Patrick Maroon has $2,500 of uh, hair product in, in his hair at all times. So <laughs> this is like a slap on the wrist for these guys, but it's, it's, it's warning shots that we, we don't want to see this at the end of every game when somebody loses, but great for the fans. It just kind of tied the whole game in for the, uh, the Toronto faithful does, does from that, Hamilton. Does that prove anything to the Leafs? Like there are some people trying to tie that bow around it. Like the Leafs are proving to themselves that they won't be manhandled. I don't. I don't know if I saw that. I just saw two teams that really want it. Yeah, but yeah, you have to understand. Like I, I think the Leafs did a good job of proving during the regular season that they weren't going to be manhandled. You know, with Clifford, everything he's done, and, and Simmons, and right. uh, but just the way everybody played, right? Labushkin coming in and being physical. The playoffs. It, you want to win so as much as you want to prove that you're tough and that you're not going to back down and 
you also want to win the game. So whenever there's these scrums and these uh, little mini line brawls, you always want to come out of it on the right end. Right. So you want to come out of it on the power play. So as much as you want to punch somebody, and, and I think a guy like Simmons really understands that, which is why he was skating away and he was trying not to get involved and give Tampa any momentum. But y you have to come out of these brawls and these scrums on the right end of the penalties. Right, understood. Um, did you notice a difference in the officiating last night on day one? Like, were they calling the rule book at least for two periods? <laughs> yeah, I, I think they were. I, I, well, yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. I, I think it was pretty good. Like I, I agreed with the Clifford hit. Um, I, glee, I agreed with a lot of the penalties, even in the late game and the Edmonton yeah. game as well. Like a lot of trippings and, and holdings. And you saw like McDavid finally drew a penalty. He didn't draw a penalty all of last year. And you know, Drysaddle drew a couple. And uh, you know, like they're 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 trying to call the game the right way. It's tough in the playoffs. Everything's amplified. We're all watching and critiquing every single call. You know, <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> some of these even you're like, come on. But uh, for the most part, I thought the officials did a good job. This one right here was actually set up because Drysaddle was getting manhandled for a while. He started to really get going in the second. He was holding on to the puck. LA Kings players were draped all over him, so he drew that. I mean, anything here, like in the hands or scoring opportunities, I'm okay with those being penalties and, and, and seeing the power play penalty kill matchup. Going back to the Toronto series, though, Tampa Bay's power play was awful last night. Yeah. And, and that was, you know, a little bit of the Leafs, but that was, I think, a little bit more of Tampa Bay and, and the execution. I don't think if you're a Leaf fan, you can bank on them being that rusty in game two. Yeah, I was chuckling. They had 11 minutes in penalties between the two teams. Both power plays were really good in the regular season, and it was Jake Muzzin who opened the scoring on a seeing-eye single. Uh, I know you were big on Trevor Moore from watching the game last night. I thought he and Philip Deneau were a huge difference maker for the LA Kings and man this is two years in a row like can Deneau do this against McDavid and Dreisaitl too? You know Tim when he signed that deal with LA in the summer how many people like me included were like "Ooh, that's a big contract yeah. Ooh, like great year for Montreal but like he's not going to do it like he's not going to be able to fulfill his potential and get better than this and, and he had his best season ever he's He's one of my uh, ballots for, for the Selkie Trophy. He had that good of a season. He, you know, he's, he's sneaky good, right? Like, he's not, like, overly flashy. He's not overly fast or overly physical. He's just a really smart, cerebral hockey player. And he's been with Trevor Moore and mostly Arvidsson for the majority of this season. And they've been probably their best line. You know, obviously, Kopitar and, and Kempe get all the goals. But that line has been really good. You put Ayafalo in their last game. And that's their only chance to shut down McDavid is, is those three guys. And game one, they look pretty good. Yeah, plus three. And I think Deneau had 27 goals this year. I mean, he's been unbelievable. Uh, I want to get to Calgary before I got to let you go. And I know you got to do bigger things on bigger shows. But since winning the Cup in, in 1989, the Flames have advanced past the first round on just two occasions. Does this group feel different? Well, one of those occasions was against me, I believe, my last year in Vancouver. But then a couple years later in Anaheim, we dusted them. So <laughs> I, I don't know. Like, it's, it's one of those things where, like, the team looks so good during the regular season, but they look good like, like their game would translate to the playoffs. The way they play, they scored a ton of goals this year. We all know about Goudreau, Lindholm, and Tuchuk and over 40 goals each. But they don't have to win the games that way. They, they're very comfortable in the low-scoring, very defensive-minded, physical, tough, you know, 2-1, 3-2 games. And so I think for that reason, they're going to be a really tough team to beat in, in this playoff series. If Goudreau's going, if the power play's going, 
Um, if they're making plays, if their D is as physical as they've been and Markstrom is as good as he was all regular season, they'll be getting out of this first round. Uh, seven games in the uh, Western Conference quarterfinals. Calgary Flames defeat the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, you are indeed correct, and I didn't have enough time to Google your stats in that series. No, so. you're wrong. You're wrong there. I don't. You're not wrong very often, but it was like 2014, and oh, they beat go. us. That was, uh, if you remember, Michael Furlan's first year, and he was running around. Uh, throwing elbows and shoulders and everything. That was a real fun series for me. <laughs> uh, 2004 was what I was looking at there when they made their run to the cup final. I am indeed yeah, correct. That was uh, a year before me, Tim. What are you looking at right there? All right. Uh, this is hockey reference. First round 4-2 <laughs> over the Canucks. Hey, how about how... Uh, for people that don't know, like your studio is literally like a driver pitching wedge from our <laughs> studio, and I refuse to walk over there. <laughs> uh, I, I understand it this time. Uh, I big B dogged you this time. Next time I'll be there. BX says six games played, a minus one, nine pims. And I and I played that series with a lung infection. Oh, did you? Yeah. That's not, not making excuses. 18-19. Gee. They didn't put that on hockey reference. 18-19 a game with a lung infection. That's not bad. That's not, not bad, bad, eh? Uh, all right, buddy. Appreciate it. Uh, next time, we have, may have to lure you. Maybe we'll get some, uh, some bada-bing, bada-boom in studio, and then you can come down and driver, wear the nice Driver shirt. pitching wedge. I'll be there next time. <laughs> there is Eric. All right. Thank you, man. Right. There is uh, Biaxa down the road. Right over. Right over. Right over there. Pitching wedge for him. Driver for most. Well, he said driver pitching wedge. Oh, so I got it. Driver pitching yeah, wedge. So like, yeah. yeah, 400. That's yeah. probably about driver five or six iron for me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, more hockey talk on the way with your feedback. Plus, visits to the rinks in Calgary, New York, also on the way. The marathon towards the cup continues right here on Tim and Friends as the Calgary Flames get going. Game one, Stars Flames later tonight on Sportsnet. Still to come, we'll get you set for the Flames and the Stars game number one, and we'll also talk NBA with Mark Spears. But emotional scenes in Montreal today as Guy Lafleur's life was remembered at a national funeral. Ron McLean and Stephen Brunt hosted some great coverage here on the day on Sportsnet, and they share with our, their thoughts with us now. Gentlemen. Well, Stephen Brunt, just a magical few days, really, in Montreal as uh, tens of thousands gather to bid a final farewell to the flower and uh, I saw contemporaries saw ancestors of uh, the Montreal Canadians thank you to the government thank you to the organization for a, a beautiful funeral here today a national funeral for uh, Guy what were your thoughts well it was powerful first of all your ritual rich ritual matters in circumstances like this and it's a very very powerful symbolically and uh, bringing those people together in that space I, was, I just kept thinking, like, how, in how many places on earth would you have a state funeral for? Well, for a hockey player, I can I can tell you, only one. That's the only place you would have one. But for an athlete, for somebody uh, from sport, where where would that happen? Where would they be significant enough in other ways, culturally, politically, uh, in terms of identity, that you would treat them like a king or a head of state or or a pope? Uh, you know, Quebec is distinct, and hockey in Quebec, the Montreal Canadiens are distinct. And they send off, they have sent off their three great icons in the same way. So Maurice Richard uh, inspires Jean Beliveau, and Beliveau wants to wear uh, number nine, but Rocket's still playing there. In the case of uh, Guy, he wants to wear number four to honor Jean Beliveau, and Jean says, no, you wear your number, 
pick your own and make every child in Quebec want to wear that number, and, and we did today. And here's a, just an example of the teamwork, uh, the Montreal Canadiens. They win 15 cups in 25 years with those three great leaders. Uh, boy, they were a team. And there was a moment when the roadrunner, Yvonne Cornoyer, who was who was so crestfallen. You could see uh, a week ago Sunday in the game between Boston and Montreal when they fed the flower. Uh, the tears in his eyes were special. And today when he got up to speak, Larry Robinson, big bird, mm -hmm. who uh, was beautiful in his speech, uh, just tapping Yvonne on the knee, letting him know, uh, we're all here and in this together. Yeah, very special. You think of those three players, they're so different. Right? Like when we think of Rocket, you think of the, the kind of the fire and the passion and the, the, the eyes and the, the violence sometimes, including the, and, the, and the kind of great innate scoring ability. With Beliveau, you think of the kind of gliding above it all, the leader, the great leader, uh, uh, Gros Bill. And with, with Lafleur, I think you think of both style, don't you? About mm -hmm. if, uh, Elan, about the hair, about those moments when you, you knew something great was going to happen. And Lord knows, hockey fans in Montreal have always cheered style. They, they love that stylish player. And he epitomized that, even though, as a person, he's, he's in some ways the, the most low-key of the three of them. Right, the reluctant royal. Yeah. I, I can't get over how frank he was and how kind he was. And I have a tough time reconciling the ability to be both. Uh, but that was Guy. Uh, he gave us uh, absolutely uh, through a time, the uh, quiet revolution in Quebec, uh, and especially in the 1970s when the province came of age, he was the one who held the torch the highest uh, because he gave us a vision of life, a life that could be your own. Merci, Guy. Well done, gentlemen, as always. And that was the beauty of Guy Lafleur was the ability to be that rock star, that superstar, and yet when you hear people talk about the interaction with, you know, ushers in the arena and people working, you know, the, the concession stands, it was humble and kind. Uh, I think the, uh, the modern-day athlete could learn a lot from Guy Lafleur. Time for more break. Uh, we'll head to Rogers Center on the other side of this. The Jays try to get the bats going against the Yankees. That's right, kids. Jays-Yankees game two. A series on the line for the Jays in a pair of games. They haven't lost one yet. Alec Manoa will try and stop the run once again. Jays have been good after a loss. We'll see if they can do it again. Showman next. And now, time for Real Sports Talk with Tim McAuliffe. Friends of the show. Thank you very much, Sheepdogs. I'm still reeling over how kind Kevin Bieksa was when pointing out that I had made a mistake. Yeah, he's a good guy. <laughs> Did you notice yeah, that? Yeah, yeah he You was. don't make many mistakes, McAuliffe, but you've made one here. Been in many yeah. fights in the NHL, yeah. but he is uh, very kind. Very yeah. calm. A little, yeah. he, he gave me a little tap on the yeah. head after we went toe-to-toe. -to -toe. I think that's what happened. Uh, and I lost. Back here for hour number two on Tim and Friends. Full hour on Sportsnet 360, which includes Mark Spears on the NBA playoffs that are getting very juicy. Marcus Smart out for Boston with the Celtics down one nothing. We'll get to Spearsy in our final half hour. It's just 30 more minutes on Sportsnet. Dan Schulman will join us shortly from the Dome before Hockey Central takes over. Four more series getting underway in the Stanley Cup playoffs tonight. Starting with the Calgary Flames and their fans who will be hoping for a deep playoff run after a wonderful regular season in Calgary. Gets underway with Game 1 against the Stars tonight. Eight local on Sportsnet and CBC. That's 10 Eastern. Jacob Markstrom will, of course, start in net for the Flames. Jake Ottinger goes for the Stars. Should be loud in the Saddle Dome tonight. And that sounds pretty darn good 
to Daryl Sutter. It's a fun thing. We haven't had it for a number of years. You watched the games last night. Two Canadian cities was awesome. It was start to finish was rocking, right? So we get it here. I've said it before. It's the best part of being a playoff team in Canada is for your fans and for your players. Oh, that's so good. The thumbs up rocking. So good. I feel like we should have that on just like a loop. <laughs> He's the best. Here's the full schedule of games on the network tonight. Pens and Rangers, Sportsnet 7 Eastern following Hockey Central. Caps and Panthers are on Sportsnet 360. Alexander Ovechkin, Aaron Ekblad both back in their respective. Big one for Florida getting Ekblad back. Game one between the Preds and the Avs, Sportsnet East. And game one. Calgary again. Sportsnet CBC will head to Calgary and check in with Dan Murphy in just a little bit. There was some rough stuff in game one between the Leafs and the Lightning and some punishment handed down by the league today. Kyle Clifford was suspended for one game for boarding Ross Colton while Wayne Simmons, Pat Maroon and Corey Perry were all fined the maximum under the CBA for unsportsmanlike conduct. A reminder. Game two goes tomorrow on Sportsnet. Should be fun here. Sheldon Keefe on his team's mindset heading in to the second affair. You come in after a win, any win, regular season or playoffs, but certainly this time of year you come in after a win and you're feeling good. You're, you know, you're wanting to get back on the ice. You're wanting to continue to get to work. It's a lot easier to do that. Uh, but at the same time, I think there's an even, uh, an even keel approach to the whole thing that the guys know that it's one game here and, and we're playing against a very good team that is going to respond very well tomorrow and reality is that as well as we played yesterday and as good as we feel about our game we're going to have to play better. Edmonton Oilers also continue their series tomorrow on Sportsnet puck drops 815 local 1015 Eastern following the Leafs and Lightning a late mistake by Mike Smith led to the Kings game winner today Oilers head coach Jay Woodcroft was asked if he's made a decision on this game to starter. Here's what he had to say. Yes, I do know, and we'll wait till tomorrow, uh, most likely, to share that. How about that? So decisions made, but it's a tactical thing not to. Sure. Yeah, we, we got time. We'll use it. As a team, we can do things to help him uh, in that situation. First one being communicate. Um, I think when you communicate well, it, it leads to speed for your team. Um, so I think we can do a better job there. Two days and basically two wool seas from the Oilers. First on Nurse, now on Smith. Jays and Yankees continue their series tonight on Sportsnet 1. Blue Jays Central gets going 6.30 Eastern, 3.30 Pacific on the one. The Jays will look to get the bats going against Jamison Tyon while Alec Manoa is on the mound for the Jays trying to stop the Yankees 10 game winning streak. Here's the lineup that will attempt to do that. Usual top four and then Biggio and Teoscar getting closer. Danny's doing well. He's, he's progressing well. Uh, he's going to hit BP today. Actually, he's going to hit right now. And, and Teoscar is going to play his first game today in Dunedin. So we're going to go day to day for sure at least two and then we'll see what he does on Thursday if he, want, if he, if he needs more at bats or if he will fly to Cleveland to, to meet with us. He's doing fine. Uh, he, he's going to stay with us this couple of days and then when we go on the road he probably will go to Buffalo to continue uh, his progress and his coming back. 
So just to clarify for you, Jansen Hernandez Biggio is uh, who Charlie Montoya was talking about. Up next, uh, we'll, Dan we'll visit with uh, Danny Shulman. That's right. Dan Shulman joins us from the Dome where he is getting set to call game number two of three. And, uh, Dan, I guess the Jays are kind of fighting for a series win here because they haven't lost one yet this year. Haven't lost two games in a row. Haven't lost a series. Got a win tonight to keep both of those streaks alive, at least for the moment. And obviously with Alec Manoa on the mound, Tim, uh, you got to feel pretty good about their chances. He has faced the Yankees three times in his big league career, and he's been really good all three times. Now, I can tell you, the Yankees would dearly love to have his number tonight. They have seen a lot of Alec Manoa, and it hasn't been a whole lot of fun for him. But uh, as you know, he's a, a big, confident guy, and he's going to come out of the mound and uh, hopefully deliver the same kind of outing he did a few weeks ago back in the Bronx. Listen, Manoa has been, dare I say, Danny, special. Um... I mean, that might be a little bit too much, but I, I don't know. Like, he has been everything that the Jays could have wanted from him. What makes him, if you agree with the special term, special? Well, I'll give you two things. One, I think, again, is that confidence. He's not afraid of anything. He's not afraid of the big moment. He doesn't get nervous. He doesn't get intimidated. He doesn't care that he faced the Yankees in the Bronx in his Major League debut last year. We remember how good he was in that start. I think that's a big part of it. But also, the stuff is really good, too. I mean, you can only be so good if your stuff isn't that good, and he's got really good stuff, too. You know, mid-90s fastball, four-seamer and a two-seamer. We know about the wipeout slider. The changeup is getting better. He's putting a lot of work into it, and it's becoming a little bit more of a weapon I think also this year Tim his command is a little bit better I think he's putting the ball where he wants to a little bit more often than he did last year so you know stuff command confidence that's a that's a pretty good combination uh, we play a game on the show called Superstat or meaningless number and you kind of referred to it they haven't lost consecutive games all year eight and oh after a loss is that a Superstat or a meaningless number um, I think it's somewhere in between, but I would yeah. lean a little bit closer to Superstat, and I think what it means is they've got three spots in their rotation that they feel great about in right. uh, Gosman and Manoa uh, and Barrios. The Blue Jays are 13-1 and one when one of those three guys starts a game. Tough to have a losing streak when you've got uh, you know, three guys who are pitching as well as those guys are. So um, I, I think it's a pretty good stat. I mean, at the end of the year, they're they're not going to say how. They're just going to say how many, right? Did, right? did you win enough to get into the playoffs? But I think the fact that this team has not lost two in a row, they bounce back. I, I think they're a mentally tough group from what they went through last year. Dunedin, Buffalo, Toronto, missing the playoffs by one game. I, I think they're... You know they're 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 tough and and uh, I I think between that and the, some of the guys they've got in the starting rotation, this doesn't feel like a team that is going to have lengthy losing streaks. All right, one of the early storylines around this team is the question: Are you worried about the bats? So I ask you, Dan Schulman, are you worried about the bats? No. Uh, so a couple of things. We put the graphic up on air during last night's game. No team in baseball has faced as much velocity as the Blue Jays have. We have the top five hitters. These guys have faced the highest average velocity of fastballs this year. Four of the top five in a baseball are Blue Jays. Boston, New York, Houston. They've just faced a lot of velocity. They faced a tough part of their schedule. They're banged up. They've got six guys who should be on the roster, who are not on the roster right now, and you talked about them. They're starting to come back. Teoscar Hernandez will be first, and after that, uh, in some order, Danny Jansen and Ryan Barucki and Kevin Biggio and Hyunjin Ryu and Nate Pearson, like all of these guys are on the way back right now. And the schedule is going to get easier. 
30 games in 31 days with all of these games against the Red Sox and the Astros and the Yankees. I don't think any other team is dealing with this. So uh, oh, one last thing. I bet you they're not going to hit 173 with runners in scoring position all season long. Yeah. I will take the over on that one and feel pretty comfortable about it when I put my head on my pillow tonight. So they are going to score more runs than they've scored so far. Yeah, we were doing the uh, the advanced numbers on all that and suggesting that uh, a, a regression to the mean or an advancement to the mean in this case uh, may be coming mm -hmm. for the Jays. Tay Oscar playing uh, tonight in Dunedin or today in Dunedin and batting second. Um, are you starting to see some encouraging things from Bo Bichette, speaking of bats? Yeah, I, I am. I mean, last night, obviously, he had a good night, had a single and a double. And, and we talked about it on the air, and the Blue Jays had this in their game notes, that even before last night, his exit velocity, his hard hit percentage, you know, some of the underlying statistics were a lot more encouraging than the numbers we see up on the scoreboard, right? And, and so there's been a little bit of tough luck. But Bo is, uh, you know, Bo's a guy who's always, you know, uh, thinking and tinkering and trying to get better and to be the best player in the world every single day and all, all he's all he knows how to do is work harder if it's not working i'm going to get on the ipad more i'm going to get in the cage more i'm going to hit off the team more and i think he's got a pretty proven track record of of being an above average major league hitter this is it's only his second full season but it's his fourth season in the big leagues and uh, i'm not worried about it to be honest with you I, I think at the end of the year we're going to look up and the numbers will be very similar to what they were last year you know this yankee team pretty well are you surprised with this start 10 in a row yeah i mean the pitching has been great you yeah. know the bullpen listen the yankees always have a great bullpen and they do again this year but they've been getting outstanding starting pitching you know cole and severino are the biggest names but montgomery has had a nice year tyone who's pitching tonight has done well and nestor cortez who's pitching tomorrow i think he's got it's like a 131 era or something like that uh in four starts and he's just a tough guy to square up so i think the starting pitching for the yankees has been probably the most pleasant surprise for them we did talk about schedule and it does matter to a certain extent who you're playing in addition to how you're playing and they've had an easier schedule they've had six games with the Orioles three with Kansas City etc that's not everything but it's something so and it, you know the nice thing is at the end of the year obviously it pretty much evens out and and listen you got to give them credit you can only play who's on your schedule and winning 10 in a row with this listen a week and a half ago Yankee fans were apoplectic about this team this is wrong and this is wrong get rid of this guy get rid of that guy now of course they're going to the World Series so but they uh, they've won 10 in a row they're playing well and uh, this is a nice early season showdown between two good teams for, for those who don't know Dan he worked with Aaron Boone at ESPN so you might be a bit biased on this but but how much credit does he deserve in this and, and what does he do well to put the players in a position to succeed so I, I think well first of all he was a good major league player for a long time comes from a baseball family uh, he's young enough and played recently enough that I think he could relate to you know the 20 somethings and the 30 somethings on the team um, but Aaron is is like you're going to get the same Aaron every day he's I would put him in the players manager category. Um, he's a very positive guy. He's not going to get down on guys. He's going to tell them what they need to hear. Uh, but I, I think he's a, a very positive, supportive guy. And I, I think the players can, can relate to that. This is a hard game. It's a, it's a sport of failure. It, it really is. And he's been through it at their level. So he understands that very well. So I, I think that's one of the many things probably that the players like about him. 
I know the Jays are doing massive numbers, but did you hear reactions to the Leaf game while you were watching and doing play-by-play on the Jays game last night? Because I was at the Jays game when Austin scored yeah. 60, and there were some lingering chants. Austin, yeah. Matt, did you hear a little bit of it last night? <laughs> Honestly, I didn't, but okay. that's because I have these on. Right, Our statistician, Scott Carson, who you know well, yes. who's sitting right there, like is dangerously close to being in this shot right now, <laughs> he can back off. <laughs> he Scott can, is a lot in the shot. Uh, he heard it. Yeah. yeah, he heard it because he's only got uh, one. He's only got one earphone on. He's listening to me for reasons yeah. unknown with this ear. So he's got the open ear. So he heard it uh, every time. But honestly, I didn't. But you know me, Tim laser focused on the game uh, always never paying attention to always. another game on another monitor. completely <laughs> understood always um, by the way let me just yeah. say I, I know that we are completely and utterly behind our guy buck martinez who is pseudo canadian and they're with us in our hearts uh, but very cool to see you joe siddle and scott carson an all canadian baseball booth i think uh, in all sports outside of hockey we need to do that more often and it was very cool to see so uh congratulations it was very fun yeah, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, fun to be a part of that. Scotty tweeted out a picture. Hazel tweeted yes. out a picture uh, about that sort of thing. So that was a uh, yeah, fun little sidebar to last night's game. As a couple of dudes who like sports outside of hockey, uh, very cool to see Canadians in those spots. Thanks, Danny. Uh, always appreciate you doing the show. All right, Tim. Talk to you again. Uh, there is Dan Schulman down at the Rogers Center. The Jays uh, trying to even up this series at one apiece. Again, they have not lost a series all year long, 6-0-1, heading into this one tonight. All right, up next, we'll go from one Dan to another. Dan Murphy in Calgary. Carolyn Cameron in New York. Four more series get underway tonight in the Stanley Cup playoffs. We will discuss Sid the Kid and more next, right here, as Tim and Friends. Road to the Cup continues. Four more game ones in the Stanley Cup playoffs tonight. Flames heavily favored heading into the series with the Stars. Same Stars team, though, that beat them two years ago in the bubble. Flames haven't been out of the first round since 2015. Something longtime flame Michael Backlund, well aware of. McAuliffe, well aware of. We haven't had the success I wanted to have here, and uh, but at the same time, it would be enough. Uh, nothing would be to win the Cup here in Calgary, so... Um, so yeah, we, uh, you know, as a, the group has been there a while, and personally, you know, we want to show that we can be a really good playoff team, and um, we learned a lot in 1819. We got beat by Dallas in the bubble, so we got some, a lot of energy out of that, and want to show that we can be better and beat these guys, and um, yeah, just kind of yeah, show, get some revenge from the bubble and same eight, and from 1819. Speaking of veterans, a Sportsnet veteran, Dan Murphy, standing by in Calgary covering this series, among others, for us. Uh, Dan, lots of optimism in Calgary this time around? Tim, hello. I would say cautious optimism, and you can understand why. You mentioned the bubble. Yes, the Flames lost to the Stars in the bubble, but really the scar tissue is from 2019. That's the year that the Flames won the Western Conference, uh, had home ice in the first round, one game, one against the Avalanche, and then lost four consecutive games. But... 
I would say that, you know, these teams are so different, this team and that one in 2019. In 2019, the team was based on skill. And once the first line was shut down, which it was, they didn't have any structure or pushback. They couldn't beat you other ways. This team certainly can. And you remember, Nikita Zadorov was on that team in Colorado and said the Flames were easy to play against. Now he's on this Flames team, certainly not easy to play against. There is pushback. We saw that less than two weeks ago there in Nashville when they had that big dust-up with the Predators. They've got guys like Lucic, uh, Richie, the aforementioned Zadorov. How about Good Branson? And I think there's far more balance now. The top three lines can all score. I think there's a little more insulation for Goudreau in that top line now. So I just think this team is so much better than the one that won the West in 2019. So I don't think there is as much of a possibility for an upset like they were back with that team against Colorado. I'm just going to call you uh, our Western Canada correspondent <laughs> because I hear you're driving to Edmonton after tonight to cover that series. And of course, you work in Vancouver and some interesting news out of or at least some interesting comments out of Vancouver. And from the outside looking in, all I see is Bruce Boudreaux, 32, 15 and 10 as the head coach of the Canucks and think, of course, he'd mm -hmm. be back so why isn't it done yet Dan what's going on there well let's not forget that Boudreaux was hired before Jim Rutherford um, and it's believed that Rutherford was in negotiations at the time with ownership and he signed off on Boudreaux but it was a one year with an option and that option is for both parties and it's got to be done before June the 1st so the Canucks can pull it out from under him which they've said they're not going to they'll have him back next year at this deal or if Boudreaux gets a better offer he can walk mm. so it's surprising but not totally surprising this uh, management group has been really critical about this team and its structure um, and I think that's one thing that's on the head coach whether it was green before and now into Boudreaux so I'm guessing that probably when he signed off of the deal he thought that the Canucks would struggle the rest of the season they'd let Boudreaux walk and they'd bring in the guy they want but now there's Bruce there it is chance inside the building outside the building so it's a bit of a PR mess for this team right now yes they'll have him back for training camp and next season they're not going to give him an extension that's a bit of a slap in the face to Bruce so I wonder if Bruce can find another job and leave them behind in which they probably might be happy to go find the guy they wanted in the first place. Yeah, we'll see if the fans are as happy as the management would be if Bruce walked away. Uh, Dan, always great catching up with you. Thanks for doing this. We're not going to talk Jets, or what? <laughs> that, I guess that, that's more the Great Plains. Uh, we're, we're not to the West yet. You're our Western correspondent. Thanks, Murph. Appreciate you. All right. There is uh, Dan Murphy in Calgary for now, Edmonton tomorrow. Elsewhere, the Penguins and Rangers get going in one of the more intriguing first-round series. The Rangers slight favorites, but the Penguins have the playoff pedigree, as everyone well knows, with more on that series. Let's go live to Broadway and check in with Carolyn Cameron. What's going on, Carolyn? Thanks, Tim. Yeah, thanks for saving some teams for me to talk about. So, yes, welcome to Madison Square Garden. I'm kind of hiding the best part, the famous roof with this makeshift tunnel, but I digress. I haven't even started. Uh, this is the eighth time that the Penguins and Rangers will meet in the Stanley Cup playoffs. And in each series, the team that's won the first game has won the series. But the big story is, is this the final swan song for Sidney Crosby, Chris Letang, and Evgeny Malkin, given their age and hockey years, relatively speaking, and the fact that Latang and Malkin are set to be pending free agents. There's a feeling, and Crosby's even talked about it, that this could be it. So we'll see what they do in their 16th straight playoff appearance. All right, there is a lot on the marquee in Broadway, but how big a factor could goaltending be in this series? 
Well, it's funny when Gerard Gallant, the head coach for the New York Rangers, spoke just about half an hour ago. The first question he was asked by the media was, who's starting? And everyone laughed because he answered, you know, it's Igor. Igor Shosturkin, who is the top, the front runner, you could say, for the Vesna, probably a candidate for the heart, top goals against average save percentage to finish the regular season. And what's interesting is at the other end of the ice, it's not Tristan Jari, who's still recovering from a broken foot. Mike Sullivan said he's not going to play likely game one or two. So you have Casey DeSmith making his Stanley Cup playoff debut for the Penguins. Carolyn, always great catching up with you. Enjoy New York, and we'll talk soon. Thanks, Tim. Hi, Jesse. There is Carolyn Cameron and uh, brought up Jesse. Uh, they are old compadres. You did shows as a producer that she worked on, correct? That's correct. Yes, uh, producer of the morning show for a time. Uh, we never got the host together. Right. I, I did that for a time too. Well, she got the memo in early enough. Yeah, I didn't get that like, same yeah, memo yeah, in. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. So she'll say hi to you on air, but co-host with you. It's very kind. I, yeah. yeah. <laughs> very <laughs> kind of her to say hello, though. The uh, the pens can't win with Casey DeSmith in that or can they they have Sidney Crosby yeah I mean I, I hate to be biased but I mean Sid's one of my all-time favorite players well there's a reason why Sid is one of your all-time favorite players is because he continually gets it done when it matters like, still yeah still like he's not he's no spring chicken anymore and he's still able to get it done and Carola mentioned is this the swan song you know that he's going to be ready to go for this series and it's going to be a difficult task against a team with the best goalie right now in the National Hockey League does he get it done I always like to see the best goalie in hockey do it in the postseason before I call him the best goalie in hockey mm -hmm. but it's Fair. hard to argue when a guy has the best save percentage and the best goals against average so it'll be interesting to see how that series plays out uh, we're talking flames and stars, and I know that we uh, put a question out to the folks on uh, on the socials at Tim and Friends. Yeah, we're getting uh, creeping closer towards game time. So we asked, uh, similar to uh, what we did with the Leafs and Oilers, we asked, how you feeling ahead of game one against Dallas? A couple good responses rolling in. Uh, Jared said, nervous because of their history, but I have confidence in Daryl yeah. Sutter and the boys. Is that the difference Go Flames, here? go. What, like, Daryl Sutter? We, we mentioned it a couple times. Like, they've made it out of the first round, what, like, twice since 1989 like it has been a scorched earth in Calgary and the double thumbs up from <laughs> Terrell Sutter on the loop which is amazing is he the difference like I, I feel like his experience and some of the way that they play speaks to his experience and he's been getting ready basically for the last three months of the season well the confidence that they have is similar to him it's just a quiet confidence and when you have success like Daryl Sutter has had success in the postseason I mean you you need that leadership if you're going to win in the Stanley Cup playoffs and it looks like the Flames finally have that head coach that uh, they're going into battle with here All right, let's get a couple more uh, 40 says loudest building in the playoffs buckle up yeah it'll be fun there and I've been in there when it's been loud there are a lot of places that are loud uh I wonder if we had like some sort of decibel reading who would win that, that would be, battle. Oh, yeah, that would be, be amazing. Good. Yes, because Edmonton's loud. I'm not going to say Toronto. Montreal <laughs> gets loud. Not even last night. No, uh, Flames. They all wear the jerseys in the lower bowl too. It's it's awesome. Yeah, it's they awesome. don't mess around there. Uh, Mike says one game at a time, baby. Been waiting all season for this to get here. Go Flames, go. 16 wins to go. And Mike says, is it me? But every time Daryl Sutter speaks, I hear a country singer. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Daryl Sutter dream. <laughs> there you go. Welcome.
Right. Flashing the thumbs. Rocking. Yeah. Rocking. Nice. Rocking. Rocking in the free world. Maybe a little rock and roll to go along with that country singer. I love that. Rocking. We'll see if the Saddle Dome is rocking tonight. But it is time to send it to David Amber and the Hockey Central panel ahead of night two in the Stanley Cup playoffs. A reminder, Blue Jays Central is on Sportsnet 1. As for us, we'll continue on Sportsnet 360. Mark Spears joins us. We'll discuss round two in the NBA playoffs. So you got baseball, you got hockey, and you got basketball with us back in 60 seconds on Sportsnet 360 as we give you the full repertoire, U.S. to the USSR. Rocking. Welcome back, kids. Two games in the NBA playoffs tonight as round one continues. Let's take a look at the odds. Powered by Bet Rivers, the Celtics are five-point favorites at home against the Bucks, even without Marcus Smart. Hmm, trying to even the series before it heads to Milwaukee. Might change a little bit, though, with the Marcus Smart news. Total 215 and a half. Late game, the Warriors slight two-point favorites in Memphis. The Warriors won game one by a point. Odds makers expect another close one. Over and under set for that one. 227 and a half. Joining us now to discuss all the series, all the action, and maybe even the officials, senior NBA writer ESPN and Anscape. It is our good friend Mark Spears. What's going on, Spears? How you doing, man? Life is good, brother. Are you How on are a, you? Are you on a balcony right now? Yeah, I'm sitting out on my balcony in Scottsdale. Oh, life, life is okay, yeah. my friend. It's, it's okay. Yeah, life is okay. So let's start there then. Uh, that's an interesting series, to say the least. I know that uh, you wrote a little something on Devin Booker. Is this the year that we may look back and say this was Devin Booker's rise to stardom, or at least maybe even superstardom? Yeah, it's, it's kind of, I think, disappointing that he hasn't hit that stride already. I mean, you know, Devin Booker was the best player um, on a team that won 64 games that was ahead of the rest of the pack by a long shot. But I think a lot of my NBA writer colleagues don't care as much about victories. Uh, and this is a, certainly a stat-driven society. And, you know, I'm, maybe I'm an old grumpy guy now, but to me, winning means a lot. So... For the fact that Booker wasn't in the top three in voting when his team won 64 games is, is very confusing to me. Um, he was eighth in the league in scoring, but that's still eighth on the best team in the league. So I, I think what ultimately is going to happen, this is a guy that's also doesn't have a jersey in the top ten. Um, two of his three All-Stars, he was an injury replacement. In order for, I think, Book to get the, the respect that he deserves, he's going to have to be a champion. Um, has to win it on the biggest level. And, you know, we saw big games from him in the finals last year. Yeah. But but ultimately, in order to get the respect, you need that ring. And he knows that. He said he's been dreaming about that since he was a little boy. And that's the most important thing in his life right now is, is winning a championship. I'm with you, man. You play to win the game. That, that means something. I want to get into that with Giannis, too, because I feel like he's being slept on. But we'll stay in that series for a second. Mavs get 45 from Luka. They get 39 from the rest of the starters and lose. Is that bad news? Or maybe is it good news for the Mavs that Luka could get his? And maybe if they can just get a couple other guys to chip in, this could be a series. 
No, I like that Lone Star. I would have probably said Luca and the Miracles. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, I think this is a time when Luca looks at at Phoenix and look what Book has. You have Chris Paul and DeAndre Ayton and, and yeah. Bridges, right? And then you see what Golden State has, right? Which Ja might be looking at Golden State's roster. And as much as Ja loves his teammates and Rob Ross for his teammates, ain't, ain't no really superstar help to make it easier off of him. So I, I think, um, you know, this, this could be a quick one for Dallas, man. Yeah. I don't expect this to go long. I mean, Luka could do his thing, and that still isn't enough. Phoenix has too many weapons. They're too focused. You know they're focused if, if they're in New Orleans and Chris Paul is putting a curfew in for the team, right? Like, yeah, yeah. This, this could be quick work for them, and I, and I expect it to go no more than five games. Um, and I'm sure when it's over, and I, I don't, I'm not going to say I know Luka well, but it's inevitable when you're a star. If, if your series is quick and you start looking at the teams that are winning and why they're winning, um, you start maybe want to tap on Nico Harris and the GMs show it a little bit and see what he could do for you. Yeah, no one can do it alone. I mean, my, my guy hero, by the way, just won six men of the year. Oh, did he what it's worth. Oh, there you go. Breaking news on the show. Mark Spears, Tyler Hero, six man of the year. I, like Luke is averaging 33.4 points per game in his career in the postseason. That's the same as MJ. Like, yeah, I think we've seen in the last few years when, when LeBron, well, I mean, what, what happened with MJ in his early years, too, right? Yeah, just ran into buzz saws that had a little bit more depth. Luca doesn't have a Pippen as, as supposed Pippen was uh, is playing for Washington now. Right. Um, Got to be disheartening for the Grizz to have Draymond tossed, hold Clay relatively in check, not get torched by Steph, only to have Jordan Poole go out and beat you. I'm, I'm going to add more to that. Clay was in foul trouble. Yeah. Gary Payton second was in foul trouble. I, I, I don't think you're going to have the Warriors play a more awful game. Yeah. And Ja played great. Um, Jaron Jackson, is he going to give you 30-plus again? Uh, maybe. Maybe. And to lose that game at home, that had to be crushing in the locker room afterwards, man. Like, you didn't have Draymond for, like, two and a half quarters. Steph and Clay played, and Gary Payton defensively played limited minutes because of the foul trouble, and you still lost. Clay missed two free throws in the end, and yeah. you still lost. Yeah. And um, so the, the, this ain't this ain't Minnesota, who, in my opinion, should have won the won that series, but their basketball IQ was was so low that they blew it. Um, this is a team where the margin of error is slim. This is a team that smells blood. And I know after they got that first one, the Warriors know that if they beat the Grizzlies tonight, it's over. It's oh. over. Oh, homie, how you did – go ahead. No, I'm, I'm finished. Go ahead. I, I was going to say, how, how, did, how did the Splash Brothers out of pool? Like, it's almost too perfect. <laughs> this is ridiculous. Well, let me give it crazier to you. Yeah. But if Kevin Durant would have stayed, pool would still be on the team. Yeah. He got drafted the year Kevin left. But – so can we talk about this culture thing? Because I feel like I feel like what we've learned over the last little while is that culture matters. That the, yeah. the way the Warriors embraced Kevin Durant gave Kevin Durant more than he appreciated from the squad. And I think you see the mm. same sort of culture with Chris Paul setting a curfew in Phoenix, and you don't see it 
in places like Brooklyn and you don't see mm -hmm. it in places like Philadelphia or with James Harden and I think we're seeing like that winning curfew, matters. James Harden and curfew? What'd you say? <laughs> no, I did not put those two words in. There's no lemon pepper curfew. wings at curfew, Spearsy. What is that? Breakfast? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But don't but don't you think like we're starting to see that like the the dedication to the craft and the understanding of what it takes to build a team is starting yeah. to really matter. You could say it about the Celtics too. Like that's how they turn the corner. Well, I, I also think in terms of, like you mentioned, Jordan Poole, right, um, environment matters. And so if Jordan Poole gets drafted by Orlando, is he doing all this? I don't know. I, I think the thing is, when you walk into an environment and Steph Curry's there and Clay Thompson is there and they're willing to spend time with you, that that helps a lot. And then one assistant coach from another team told me in terms of Jordan Poole, he's like, when Clay and Steph were, were missing, um, the smartest thing that Steve Kerr and their coaching staff did was basically give Jordan a green light. Right. And just say, just, hey, you can make mistakes. It's okay. Build your confidence. You no, know, that team wasn't going anywhere. Um, and it built his confidence playing a lot of games in the G League, built his confidence. And actually, Rod Strickland, Strickland who's basically the GM of the G League, Ignite, the, uh, with a lot of young players, he told Jonathan Kaminga, the rookie for the Warriors, he's like, the best thing that happened to you is getting selected eighth by the Golden State um, because of that veteran mentorship that he could get. I, and I'll go back to this. I covered Carmelo Anthony like his first five years in the league. And when he was a rookie, Kiki Vanderway, the general manager of the Nuggets at the time, considered uh, signing Lafonso Ellis to basically be that veteran guy that Chris Paul, that Steph, that Draymond in the locker room. He didn't do it. You know, Marcus Canby, God bless him, Kenyon, Andre Miller, they didn't have time for a young mellow other than if they want he wanted to sneak into a club at his age, right? right. Um, so Mello told me years later, he's like, Man, I didn't know that about Lafonso Ellis. I wish I had a guy right like that that kind of could keep tabs on me, be a big brother. You know, in the same way that Byron Scott was for Kobe Bryant. Right. right? Um, those things are important to develop young players. And if they're in a place where you know, they get too much power, too much of uh, this, too much of that too early. A lot of times it could go in the wrong direction. And the one thing that Jordan Poole did was show from the time he got out there that he had a work ethic that might have even been exceeded what Steph Curry and Clay had. Right. They had to tell him to get out to the gym, and that's Crazy. why he is where he is today. That's crazy. I, I, that culture, especially in Toronto, like we saw it. Vince Carter ran the franchise, and they couldn't do anything. And now you see what Masai is doing and the culture that they've built. And you've got a, a one-year rebuild and a team that gave the Sixers a run for their money when they never should have given the Sixers. So let's let's just focus in. I got about two minutes left here. Is James Harden like ruining his legacy right now? Look, what's is he hurt? Is there what what's the part of the story that I'm missing here? Because it just feels like He's not playing. Um, he's a Hall of Famer. That's done. I, I, don't, I don't think there's nothing more uh, that he needs to do in that regard. Um, in terms of the defense, um, teams are keying on him. Can you guys hear me? Yep, we got you. We okay, got you. no, yeah. I said it. In terms of defense, team, teams are keying on him, uh, especially with Embiid out. They can focus on him. And so I talked to P.J. Tucker on Friday, and I'm like, are you going to guard James? He's like, I'm not going to guard James. Of course I'm going to guard James. 
So you being James Harden is, you know, without a beat is tough enough. And then you're going to have big old P.J. Tucker. Y'all know him from his yeah. time in Toronto following you 94 feet. Come on, man. In your space the whole game. Come on, man. Good luck. I don't care how great a score he is. You got P.J. Tucker beating you up the whole game. It's P.J. Tucker. <laughs> like, yeah. It's the it's the heat defense. It, it, from from the moment he stepped into the floor against these guys, I mean, who who better to know all the secrets to the PJ? I mean, to James Harden than a guy that he played with for four years that all he cares about is defense. It's like the worst guy he could have guarding <laughs> right now. Yeah, a guy that went out of like, practice like every day. Some dude that knows all the you know herbs and spices of KFC, man. And try to make the chicken a little better than, than KFC does it. He, he knows all the tricks. Right, he knows right. all the he knows all the spices. He knows all the herbs. He knows how to get under James' skin. Right. And unless MB comes back quick, which I, it looks like he's going to at least miss, miss two games, you know they're in trouble because uh, yeah. there'll be a real large low margin of error for them. Yeah. Without even without Kyle Lowry, I looked at betting um, the sweep. And the odds weren't good enough for me to bet the sweep and make real money on it because uh, Vegas looked at it the same way as I did. Uh, listen, homie, I, 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 I could talk basketball with you for hours. We have run out of time. But next time, I want to weigh in on Giannis, and I feel like he is perennially slept on even though he's a world champ and an MVP. And I wonder if it's because of what we were talking about earlier, that he's not flashy, he just wins games. That, we'll save that one for the back burner, okay? Yeah, he needs to be on IG more. Yeah, he needs yeah, he needs, yeah, he needs to do more <laughs> stories and then people would worry about him more. Thanks, Spears. He always appreciate you. All right, brother. Take care. Uh, there is Mark Spears on a balcony in Scottsdale. Pretty <laughs> time, good. Time for one last break. Rubinoff will take over with last call. Plus, highlights from today's Champs League semifinal next here on Tim and Friends. We got you covered. Doesn't matter the sport. We got you. Champs League semifinal second leg. A lot of folks thought that Liverpool got the easy draw with Villarreal and they led 2-0 on aggregate looking to reach a third final in five years. But just three minutes in, a ball played in the area. Etienne Capu gets it to Boule Dia and guess what? They got a chance. Yellow Submarine down one on aggregate. Then Villarreal in the 41st minute. Just keep coming. Capu crosses Francis Coquelin. And guess what? We are 2-2 going into the half at Villarreal. But Liverpool repels the uprising. Mo Salah touches Fabinho through the legs. A little nutmeg on Geronimo Rulli. Liverpool reclaim the lead 3-2 on aggregate, then 67th minute, a little icing. Luis Diaz off of the Trent Alexander-Arnold cross restores the two-goal lead as if that weren't enough. How about Sadio Mane? He's pumped. He added another goal. And Liverpool 5-2 on aggregate as they storm back with three second-half goals. Mane? Could, could Liverpool pull off with a quadruple like they're gonna need a little help here but for a franchise for a club that for a long time was the losers of the group that was once one of those marquee franchises mm -hmm. in all of sports 
they have found their way back to the top. I love how we cover all sports on this show. Like nothing, we leave no stone unturned. We, we attempt to. On Tim and Friends. And we're going to go to another sport right now, to basketball. Last night in Phoenix, Jay Crowder was handed a flagrant one foul for this kick to a sensitive area of Luka Doncic. That decision stirred up some controversy while Draymond Green decided to weigh in on Twitter. Uh, Green, who was ejected on Sunday for a controversial flagrant two, tweeted out a series of crying emojis, as well as this tweet right here, been ejected for less. Should Crowder have been tossed? No, we need to, I should have asked Spearsy about the officiating. The officiating in every sport right now is being scrutinized, and I feel like all of the scrutiny is putting the referees in a top, like, that's a ridiculous play. That should be a flagrant, but you shouldn't get kicked out of the game for that. Like, you shouldn't get kicked out of the game for what Draymond Green got kicked out of the game for a day before. Like, this is ridiculous. It's stupid. It's a flagrant. Let's all move on. Kicked out of the game for it? I don't know. That's a step too far for me. Yeah, it's reckless, but it's not, like, particularly dangerous or anything like that. Like, the Draymond one, I guess you could make some sort of case. Well, but... it might be dangerous to... Yeah, yeah. I guess I got to choose sword. my words a little more carefully there. No, like, let's be honest here. We all know what it is. We all know what a foul is. We all know what you should be kicked out of the game for. And what Draymond got kicked out of the game for a game uh, a day ago was not a flagrant no. two. And neither was this. This was stupid. Give him the flagrant. Give him the shots and the ball. Yeah. And let's move on. Yeah. Agreed. These leagues are calling it tight here in the postseason. Uh, the NBA and NHL, at least as we saw last night. Okay, uh, last night, the annual Met Gala was held in New York. It always brings out some eccentric outfits. Here's Russell Westbrook, showed up wearing this last night. Um, cut or uncut? You know the answer to that. What are you asking me? Well, it's the Met Gala, so there's like a purpose behind it. You're supposed no, to go wear the most make... extravagant thing you could possibly get. But you could find something better than looking like you're telling me that I should not pass go and yeah. not collect $200. I wonder like... if that's the inspiration behind that outfit. Probably, right? <laughs> really? Monopoly? The Monopoly was the inspiration Maybe. for that outfit? I, I don't, I didn't, he didn't have the, uh, what do they call it? The, with the, eye, the monocle. Thank you, Dobbs. The monocle. Yeah, I don't think he had a monocle. No, no he did not have a monocle. And um, he just thinks he's fashion forward. And I guess in the end, he is fashion forward because people look at him like that. But for me, it's just, it's ridiculous and it's completely cut, even though it is the Met Gala. There's a lot of things that you could do and not look like. Okay. Even the socks. Okay. Look at the socks. Yeah, I mean, did you I, even I, notice I'm the not, socks? I'm not going to defend it. All I was saying is that it's just it's the Met Gala, and that's what um, those who attend the Met Gala do. Um, but <laughs> it's, so, so then we should just rip the Met Gala. Sure. And, and speaking of uh, ripping the Met Gala, did you see Odell Beckham Jr.'s chain? Yes. So, we have it. So Odell Beckham Jr. wore this chain to the Met Gala. See, Odell Beckham Jr. doesn't look the same way nah. that Russell Westbrook looks. Yeah, I don't know. What, it, what? You think so? What's the thing? Of, I don't. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. He doesn't look. Listen, you look at it and you say, okay, that's the Met Gala. Now, the ridiculous part of what Odell Beckham Jr. is doing is the chain that he's holding is a $650,000 chain. Why? You wonder why people don't like the Met Gala. 
American opulence at its best? Yeah, I mean, come on. $650,000 chain flaunting that, I don't know. It, it used to be about being fashion forward and now it's about flexing. Yes, On how yes. fashion forward that's that the you are. That's the but word. that's 2022. How do you Everything walk around with that flexing. thing? Like, how does he walk with that Without chain around guard. It's crazy. Like now that you now that you've advertised it too, like every dude that may be into something <laughs> like that is gonna look at Odell Beckham Jr. and he, just say, hmm. And he does it because what do we do? Show it on the show today. Exactly. Mission accomplished. Uh, the Wild That's and Blues fault. kicked off. It is my fault. The Wild and Blues kicked off their series last night with St. Louis coming away what with a four bagel win in Minnesota. And this was just ridiculous. Wild captain Jared Spurgeon took out his frustrations on Pavel Bushnevich with this cross check and was fined uh, the maximum of $5,000. Uh, go for it. Why do we do this in the NHL? Why, why don't you just punish what happened on the, like, did anyone look at that and say, yeah, it's good playoff hockey right there. It's a guy getting a little excited and cross-checking someone across the back of the ankles while his legs were on the, if he by any chance suffered a high ankle sprain or God forbid broke his ankle, what would have happened today? And I know Jared Spurgeon's not that guy. So let me add that caveat. He's not that guy. We get it. That's a five-game suspension at least, right? Of course. That is so dangerous and so unwarranted in the game. Like We both like the rough stuff in hockey. And we both like Jared Spurgeon. He's a good player. Yeah, but that's ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. And I think, like, just immediately, as you said and I said, Kyle Clifford, one game, that fits. One game, so that easy. fits. Yeah, it's so just easy. Just do it. Just I don't get it. It's like they're trying to outsmart you, the NHL. It's like, no, no, no. We know more than you. Yeah. Uh, okay, the Caps and Panthers. You don't know the game. That's a hockey game. Exactly. Point. The Caps and Panthers get their series started tonight in Florida. You can watch it at 7.30 Eastern, 4.30 Pacific on Sportsnet 360. Alex Ovechkin will return tonight for the Caps after missing the final three games of the regular season with an upper body injury. D-man Aaron Ekblad will also return for the Panthers. He's been out since March 18th with a lower body injury. Who you got between the Caps and Panthers tonight? Goaltending. I'm not sure that answers the question. Whoever the better goalie is. Goaltending. Oh, you wanted me to deduce from the goaltending. Yeah, I think goaltending wins that series. And I think the Capitals have a better shot than most people would expect. Though their goaltending has struggled. And if they don't get the goaltending, then it's over quickly. But I, I, I don't know that Sergei Bobrovsky has the, the history of being that dude mm -hmm. when it matters the most. This, this team might be good enough to carry him, right. and it might even be good enough to turn to Spencer Knight and get through. But I, I, I am, this feels way more coin flippy than it should for a team as good as the Florida Panthers in the regular season. I have breaking news from Dunedin, just as we're about to go off. Okay. Tail went yard. Well, that's a good sign. That's right. So his first at-bat in a rehab start for Dunedin, Teoscar Hernandez testing out the oblique, goes deep. I think that's a good sign. Yeah, I think he's okay. <laughs> that does it for us. Here is a 
packed schedule on the Sportsnet family of channels tonight. Jays and Yankees are over on Sportsnet 1. Rangers and Pens about to get going on Sportsnet and CBC. Panthers and Caps count up 7.30 Eastern on Sportsnet 360 right here. While game one of the Stars and the Flames goes on Sportsnet and CBC later tonight. Enjoy the games. Have a great night. We'll talk to you tomorrow.